0: Quick disclaimer: All information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and/or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Welcome to episode five of the Untethered podcast. Today, we are talking about pre-op therapy and why it's necessary before a tongue or lip tie release. So this is a question that I hear a lot. Is it necessary to spend money and do this pre-op therapy before I have my phrenectomy? And I get it. The process can be expensive. It can be something that, you know, is not covered by insurance or is minimally covered by insurance. It just depends. But Here's the bottom line, and we're going to go through a number of reasons why it's important, because my answer is yes, it is absolutely important and necessary to have that pre-op therapy before a tongue tie release. But we're going to, you know, I want you to understand that without it, there's a number of issues that actually can occur, and we'll go through those as well. But one being that if we don't have that pre-op exam, that assessment before you have your tongue tie or your lip tie or buckle ties released we have no idea what your baseline is. And we have not prepped you to start your active wound care and your exercises immediately following um, the release. So let's talk a little bit about that first before we get into some other reasons why it's necessary. As far as knowing your baseline, (laughs) I can tell you I get calls and you'll hear me discuss this a little bit on some other episodes with some of our guests. But sometimes, you know, us uh, providers who do that pre and post-op therapy, We get calls from people who say, hey, I just left my dentist or my oral surgeon or the ENT's office and got my tongue-tie release. And hey, um, they said I should contact you for therapy. Well, yes, in most cases, they actually probably told you to contact us before the procedure. You waited till after the procedure. And a lot of us have very full schedules. So it's hard to squeeze you in within 24 to 48 hours following your release, which is when you absolutely should start your your exercises by otherwise you you know you may have a higher chance of reattachment. Um, you may not get the best outcomes because you haven't started moving the muscles the way that they need to be moved. You know, immediately following the release, there's just a number of things that can happen that basically means you're not maximizing the results that you can get from this procedure you just put yourself through, right? And I know that I'm speaking, um, I may be speaking to professionals and to individuals who are not, you know, professionals in this space, but who may be parents of young children, or you might be going through a release yourself, or you might be a professional like myself who has gone through a release myself, and, to, and both of my kids have had their tongue-tie released. So I'm speaking to everybody. This is not targeted at like one person. This is general information that I want everybody to hear because I even get it from providers who are not aware that, you know, it's necessary to have that pre-op and post-op. And so what I'm sharing here with you is both, it's a culmination of what I've learned from my own clients, from doing this myself by putting my own children through the procedure, um, which was necessary for both of them, and from You know, working with clients and seeing when a client calls me post op who has not done any pre op and who I'm trying to squeeze in within 24 to 48 hours, which is not always possible, especially when, you know, I have one of my release providers likes to do them on Thursdays and I don't work on Fridays. So when you come, when you call me on a Thursday after you've left the office, there's an unlikely chance I'm going to see you before the following Tuesday if I can even squeeze you in, because that's my busiest day of standing clients. So, you know, you have to consider the fact that it's not like you can just pop in like you're going to get a manicure or pedicure and have some post-op exercises thrown your way. It's much more involved than that. So let's talk about getting your baseline. When I do an assessment, I'm looking for what is, you know, your current range of motion? What is your current function? I'm looking at all the parts of the orofacial musculature. I'm looking at how everything works independently of, of each other. I'm looking how it all works, you know, integrated together. Um, I watch you eat a snack and drink from an open cup. I mean, I do things where I'm not just listening to how you speak and I'm not looking, I, I'm not just asking you to move your tongue left and right and stick it in and out. I'm looking at what, like I said, what can you do independently and, you know, what can your tongue do independent of everything else surrounding it, but also what can your tongue do to help you to swallow, speak, you know, all of the above. So that's a really important thing to consider. Now my assessments, and I know many of my colleagues' assessments, also look at airway. We're not just looking at how you produce your speech, how you chew and how, how you swallow your foods. We're also looking at your airway and that is a really important thing to consider because you'll hear me say this 500,000 times over. <laughs> I know a major exaggeration, but seriously, airway is life, guys. If you can't breathe, you're fill in the blank, dead, <laughs> you know, and, and you're going to hear me say that more and more and more because I can't drive that point home enough. We need air. We need oxygen in, you know, to live. So, If I have concerns and I have ways of testing, you know, to see if your nose, if you're able to breathe through your nose and how easy it is to breathe through your nose and, you know, are you breathing through your mouth? Is the mouth open when you're sitting in front of me? How much is it open? Is it just like zero to three millimeters or are we talking like 10 millimeters? You know, and these kinds of measurements and things are things that I take because it's relevant and your measurements sometimes might be very different 24 to 48 hours after a procedure when you're sore and there's some swelling and your body is just not up for being assessed. But an assessment has to be done at some point. So it's much more comfortable to get that baseline and to get a true baseline prior to the procedure. Now, it's also recommended after we get that baseline that we tailor a program to you. So you'll also hear me say this, you know, I, I might have a sheet of pre-op exercises that I give to people, but I don't give everybody every exercise on that sheet. I tailor it to your needs. And then within each exercise that we're working on to gain range of motion and to gain some, you know, lingual independence, um, how help you use your tongue independent of the other orofacial structures you know we're looking to see what are you doing what compensations are you making and how can I tailor this to you to break you free of those compensations to the extent possible before your release so that we can gain the best range of of motion and gain the best function pre-release and I can't tell you how many people come to me and either one they can't click their tongue or do a cluck they can't you know that's that sound um they also can't seem to make a suction which basically is suctioning your tongue to the roof of your mouth to your upper palate so you know that's and I always say to people it's kind of like slowing down a click and holding it up there and not letting that click fall down especially with young kids it's really hard for them sometimes to learn how to do this. Some kids come in and they got it right away. Um, I even have adults who can't do this. You know, dare I say my own husband. And I don't know if he'll be listening to this, but for him, it's actually really hard to make a click. So we have to look at what's going on in there. What's preventing you from being able to do this? You know, sometimes it's a matter of the fact that it's just a new exercise. And next time I see you, you've got it down and now you've practiced it for a week and you have it. Sometimes I get you know, kiddos or even adults back in here a week later, and they still can't do it. And they are trying to like tense their entire face, not trying to, they're actually tensing their entire face. They're their neck muscles are tense and their cheek and their chin and, you know, all the surrounding muscles. I see everything tensing up in order to try and pull the tongue off the floor of the mouth and hold it up in the top of the mouth. That is not helpful and that is not what we want. So we have to work together to figure out why is your body trying to compensate like this? And I can tell you it's probably because you have a restricted frenulum under your tongue um, and that tissue is really hard for you. You might actually feel a physical pull and it's hard to like elevate that tissue up, but we don't know this unless I assess you beforehand and get you figuring out how to release the tension in the surrounding muscles and do more of a, what I like to call like a gentle suction or cave. So, you know, this is really, really, really important. Um, I can't drive this home enough. And so You know, in addition to that, it's also really important for, especially for young children and anybody who has any type of a sensory processing thing going on, to build that rapport. Because there's no way you're going to let me in your mouth post-op when you don't, when your tongue doesn't feel it's best. If you don't know me, we haven't done this before, it's brand new. And so sometimes with those sensory-based cases, we really need to do a little bit extra pre-op because we're also desensitizing them to us going in the mouth or us lifting the tongue up or us you know basically preparing them to have the release provider go in their mouth. Um, I've had some kiddos where we knew there was a sensory feeding component they didn't mind us going in the mouth however when they got into the chair you know as as they got further back in doing the release the release provider said you know." I, I, the child was about to vomit, like we couldn't go any further. And this might warrant a second release down the road, but at least that release provider was reading the child's cues and knew when to stop based on that child's responses. Can we prevent this? Most of the time, yes, we can with pre-op therapy. So really, really important to know who your patient is and, you know, we don't always know this if we just have a kiddo go for a consult. You know, they do a quick look under the tongue. We take a functional intake in terms of knowing, like, what the symptoms are, but not truly doing a functional assessment. You know, maybe the release provider does the intake, but they don't see a neurofacial myologist for an assessment. Um, and then the child gets put into the chair, and they freak out because you've now put them on their back. So now, you know, vestibular system is kind of like, What's going on? And we are trying to lift their tongue up. And hey, if they have added breathing issues, airway issues, and the tongue is now falling to the back of their mouth, we are totally sending that patient into fight or flight mode. And you think you're going to get a successful release when you're doing that? Absolutely not. So, you know, we have to test these things out. We have to prep the best way we know possible. And that's why the orofacial myofunctional assessment is important because we look at all of these factors so we know how to best prep you for your needs and your best outcomes. So yeah, so basically this, you know, we want to gain the most function before the release that's possible. And this in turn, as you're hearing me say, helps the release provider give you the best release that they can. Now I also want to add a little disclaimer that you cannot stretch the frenulum or frenum, whatever you want to call that tissue, under the tongue. It may appear as though we stretch it following preoperative therapy because we're reducing or sometimes eliminating the tension in the surrounding muscles and orofacial structures, and so if we're able to reduce those compensations and help you relax everything else a bit more, sometimes it appears as though you've gained right range of function, range of motion. Um, your tongue is able to lift higher in your mouth, suction a bit more, and so it might look like you've gained a few millimeters, but that's not actually stretching that tissue that you know under the tongue. It's just. Relaxing the surrounding structure. So I want everybody to understand that because you cannot stretch that frenulum on its own. Um, so I want to put that just put that out there. Um, now the next thing that we want to talk about is, and we did talk about it a little bit, but prepping your body for what's to come. Right? It's best if you practice these exercises beforehand because you know how are you going to feel if you're doing it for the first time following. The procedure, probably not too good, you know, so we want to actually avoid that. We want to help you do these exercises beforehand. So they're second nature for you and the way that you need to do them for your current situation. And then that way post-op you leave and you're like, all right, I got this, you know, and if you have sutures, they might give you instructions to wait, you know, 12 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours before stretching, you know, Different release providers have different guidelines based on the outcomes that they see. Um, But you still have to do exercises when you have those sutures put in. You don't have to do active wound care. And we talked about that in the episode with um, Autumn Reed Henning. So go back and listen to episode four with Autumn so that you can hear the difference between active wound care and exercises. But the bottom line is, regardless of whether you have sutures or not, you're still going to have a post-op protocol that you're going to need to follow for yourself. And what that looks like is going to be based on your pre-op protocol. I also think when I had mine done, I thought that the coolest part was that I could feel the difference in the range of motion and what my tongue could now do when I moved my tongue around and tried to poke it into my cheek and, you know, pull it back, retract it and stick it out and move it all around in my mouth. I really felt a huge difference. And I was like, wow, like look how far my tongue can go now. Um, I actually, I also have videos of this. So maybe I'll share that one day over on the Facebook page or, you know, send it out to those of you who are on the the mailing list so that, um, the email list, so that you can see my results. Um, we also happened to record my release, which I would not share without the permission of my release provider, but I've got it all documented because I was just so curious to see, you know, what they were doing. And I know my release provider talked, you know, spoke his way through the procedure and what he was doing. So it's kind of a cool thing to see. And then I also took videos while I was healing so that we could see you know what was happening over the course of healing, but putting myself through that—and um, I don't say that in a negative way. See, you know, I just mean having completed this procedure, I actually have a true understanding of what other people experience, and it opened my eyes and actually changed my own protocol for pre and post-op and understanding. You know how to better tailor things specifically to my clients' needs. So. There's something to be said about that, but I definitely was happy that I had done my pre-op exercises because I felt a world's difference after the procedure and I could not have imagined doing those exercises for the first time (laughs) um, with, you know, with having just had my tongue released. So that's something else to think about as well. You you can feel that difference. Also, one other thing I want to mention related to the assessment, um, as we talked about before, you know... When we look at other things like airway and I look at the teeth and the bite and I don't diagnose these things because that's not my specialty. However, I still look at them because sometimes I can see enough to know "Mm, this palate is high and narrow or "Mm, this palate is really, you know, I'm not sure the tongue has enough space to rest in the palate and let's get an opinion to see what the best, course of treatment would be for this patient because maybe they need to have some expansion done before we release their tongue. Not everybody should go in with a tongue tied first, but we don't, that's case dependent. We don't know that without pulling in other providers. And or maybe somebody has a really restricted airway and they have sleep apnea and they have enlarged tonsils and I'm looking in the back of their throat and I'm seeing these huge, you know, blueberry sized tonsils that are touching each other and I I get reports that this client is snoring at night and sometimes I've actually had kids sit in front of me um or even adults who have an open mouth posture and I can hear them breathing we should never be able to hear you breathe like that, that's not a thing we should not be able to hear that <laughs> um, or I guess it is a thing but it's not something that we want to continue we want to help you so I've had a lot of parents say to me oh well I didn't know that snoring was not normal. Um, This is our first child, and, you know, you're the first person who's ever mentioned that to us. Well, I'm the first person who's ever asked them about how their child sleeps to to the point of breathing, not, you know, oh, do they just wake up at night, and oh, it's kind of a pain because they don't sleep and they wake you up, and oh, let's work on, you know, uh, sleep training them so that we can get them back to sleep. Well, there's probably a reason after a certain age, you know, after at least for my kids, you know, my um, first was sleeping really well after like four and a half months of age, she would sleep 12 hours through the night. And now, um, my second one took a bit longer, but closer to a year or so, she started sleeping longer stretches throughout the night and now sleeps about 11 hours at 16 months of age. Um, but you better believe I am looking on those monitors and I am listening in and I'm always, you know, checking to see, are they snoring? Is the mouth open? Especially because my oldest has enlarged tonsils and sometimes they look kind of infected, but the ENT so far has been unimpressed. So I'm monitoring them to the best of my ability. It doesn't appear from what I know to be affecting her breathing at this point, but you know we're monitoring that and so parents, you know, if you're listening or providers who work with parents of, you know, children or adults who mouth breathe, there are checklists out there as we discussed in the episode with Richard Baxter. So go back to those show notes, um, like the pediatric sleep questionnaire, and then there's the bears and, you know, there's different um, sleep questionnaires that we can use as kind of screeners to figure out where does this person fall on the continuum of, you know, we think they've got some airway issues going on, so we don't think they have any issues. And do we need to refer out? And then the challenge becomes finding an a airway-centric ENT to refer to because not all ENTs are, quote, airway-centric, unquote. <laughs> and I know that's, that's a whole other topic for another day. But, you know, you have to think about other specialists that somebody might need to see. There might also be a need for some body work. So if you're, if you or your patient are having trouble releasing some of those compensations or the surrounding muscles, body work sometimes can be necessary with a craniosacral therapist or a chiropractor who's trained in this area or um, an osteopathic doctor. You know, there's different types of body workers out there that do, you know, I personally even have a physical therapist, two physical therapists actually, who I guess initially trained through the Postural Restoration Institute, PRI, but they also have additional trainings related to this space. And, you know, one of them, the one who usually works on me, it's amazing to see like how he can go up on my head and be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. And he goes to somewhere down on my body. He's you know, touches like a, a pressure point, or I don't know. I, I'm this is totally not my area, and I'm probably using all the wrong terms. Um, full disclaimer there. But to see what he's able to do, and I leave there. I mean, he barely. I, feel, I always say he barely touched me, and I leave there feeling like I had a full body massage. I mean, my entire body is just seems to be more relaxed and in alignment. And I know that that also improves my airway. And I've actually also worked on diaphragmatic breathing. (laughs) The myofunctional therapist who is a speech pathologist who works on breathing with their clients had to work on it herself. And it's still something that I have to kind of do check-ins on once in a while. But I had to work on moving my breathing from my chest up and, you know, my, clavic, my uh, clavicle, my clavicle, clavicular area down to my diaphragm to do true diaphragmatic or belly breathing. And that was something that I really worked on prior to my second pregnancy because that was really important to me with everything that I've learned. Um, but that's that's an episode for another day. So bottom line is that all that we've talked about today helps to make the procedure and the outcomes Surrounding the procedure, most effective. Um, and it gives you the most functional gain. So why would you not do it becomes the question, right? The other thing that I want to mention is that sometimes when people have not done the pre-op and they call me, and I see them four days later, they've already started to reattach. And it is not comfortable to have to go back to the release provider and have them manually try to reopen that wound. It does not feel good. So, you know, you don't wanna have to do that. And sometimes we've already reattached to the point when we see you um, to the point where we have to do another release. So if you wanna avoid that for yourself or your patients, do the pre-op, I beg you. (laughs) Do the pre-op exercises, listen to your providers, you know, sometimes it may also be the case that if you're not prepared enough before the release, you're not going to get as good of a release as you could have had you been prepared. So you might then end up needing a second release because of your lack of preparation prior to. So I know the last thing anybody wants to do to themselves or their child is put put yourself through a second procedure if it can be avoided. You know, in some cases you might need a second one anyways. We don't always know that until, you know, the release provider gets in there and we see what's going on. But The bottom line is let's see what we can do for the first time around, get you the most prepared, send you in prepared, have you ready, for what's to come afterwards so that you're ready to hop right into your exercises and meet. you already have an appointment on the calendar to meet with your myofunctional therapist who's doing that pre- and post-op work with you. That is the best case scenario, as well as ruling out anything else that should be taken care of before you have your release, which you're not gonna know about necessarily until you've had that assessment, um, which again, needs to be done pre-op. So I hope this helps and I hope this information make sense as to why some of us are really adamant about needing that preoperative therapy before phrenectomy. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Myo Tots Airway and Feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the Untethered Podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Biz on Instagram at at And you can head over to untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes where you can Also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. Big shout out to Dana McKay, podcaster extraordinaire, for editing and helping me keep this podcast alive.